it has now been 20 weeks since we have had our choir in the choir loft. And while we miss greatly having our choir in the choir loft, we are also greatly blessed week after week by the music we experience here. So many thanks to Tim and to Sheila and to Rosemary and to all of those who are helping us to keep singing during this very different season in all of our lives. The peace of our Lord be with you. Those whom God foreknew, God predestined to be conformed to the image of God's likeness so that Christ might be the firstborn in a large family. Every time the lectionary asks us to read those words from today's epistle lesson, they take me back to the table where we ate all of our meals back home at 1556 Edna Place in Macon, Georgia, a chrome-legged, formica-topped kitchen table, which about once or twice a year would become a theological battleground, a clash of the titans. Uncle Woodrow, a self-taught, hard-shell, primitive Baptist preacher, and my dad, who quit school as a 13-year-old fifth grader, slugging it out deep into the night, armed with nothing but a big old King James Bible and a bottomless pot of Maxwell House coffee, arguing over predestination. Uncle Woodrow planting his flag in that verse we just read from today's epistle lesson. Those whom God foreknew, God predestined to be conformed to God's image. And my dad responding that it just didn't make sense to him that a God of love and grace would predestine some for heaven and others for hell. Not unlike the desert fathers and mothers in the early centuries of Christianity who, when confronted with the doctrine of eternal torment for some in hell, would always respond, love could not bear that. One imagines that Uncle Woodrow and my dad have by now cornered poor Paul somewhere up there and extracted from him a full explanation of what he meant 
when he said what he said in that verse from today's epistle passage. But lacking that luxury, all we are left to do is wonder and imagine and hope. Of course, there's always the possibility that the New Testament is such an insider book that it only applies inside the church. But we have a long history of not using the New Testament that way, applying it instead to the world around us. Which is why for me, while I cannot speak for you, my deepest and highest hope is that when Paul says in today's epistle lesson, that those whom God foreknew, God predestined to be conformed to the image of God's likeness so that Christ might be the firstborn in a large family. That large family is the whole human family of every time and place. Which, yes, would mean that when Paul speaks in today's passage of those whom God foreknew and predestined to be included in God's grace, that includes everyone. Everyone foreknown by God, predestined by God, chosen, elected, and embraced by God. So that when Paul says in today's lesson from Romans that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, and then says that since God is for us, no one can condemn us. Paul's us is not only us, but all of us. That is my deepest and highest hope, which is not the same as hoping that there is no judgment. To the contrary, there is truth which must be told, and there are victims who must be faced. There is responsibility to be owned, Forgiveness to be asked, and where possible, amends to be made. Otherwise, grace becomes, as Fred Craddock once said, a timid tolerance which stares silently at the ground in the face of injustice. No condemnation is not the same as no judgment. To the contrary, 
truthful love requires honest judgment. But judgment in the service, not of retribution, but of redemption. Not unlike the truth which travels in the final parable in today's gospel lesson, where the good and the bad, the true and the false, the right and the wrong, which lives in each of us, is identified and judged so that the bad can be burned away, the fires of hell, Burning away, burning away all that is hurtful and harmful, unjust and unkind, deceptive and untrue. A fire of judgment in the service, not of endless, pointless punishment, but of eventual, ultimate redemption. The love of God. Not rejection, separation, or sin, but the love of God having the last word. So that nothing in all creation will be able to separate any of us from the love of God in Christ. The Christ through whom and in whom and with whom God created the universe. 13 billion years ago, that Christ, not, not Christ who has sort of been taken into custody by a 2,000 year old world religion called Christianity but Christ in whom with whom and through whom God created the world 13 billion years ago that that Christ the Christ one imagines Paul might have had in mind in 1 Corinthians 15.22 when Paul said that as in Adam all die in Christ, all are made alive. The Christ Paul might have had in mind in 2 Corinthians 5.19 when Paul said that in Christ God was reconciling the whole world to God's Self And perhaps the Christ Paul had in mind in Colossians 1.20 when Paul said, through Christ God did reconcile the whole creation to God's self. Maybe what Paul was thinking when Paul said in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 that God has already revealed to us God's will and plan, which is to gather up all things in Christ. So that when Paul says that nothing in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Perhaps Paul is thinking not of only us, but of all of us. Once all the judgment which must be gone through has been gone through, ultimately, finally, eternally, nothing in all creation separating any of us from the love of God in Christ.